times. I remember um, the first person I baptized, like it was yesterday. Um, I was actually just starting out in ministry quite some time ago. I took this group of high school students to a summer camp at Forest Home. We have some people that have been to Forest Home in here, right? Forest Home? Yes, a bunch. Yeah, good. And so sometimes when churches, they either don't have adult leaders, they can't afford to send adult leaders, they send these kids to camp and then they like beg people like me to take on kids that aren't theirs. And so I took these two kids one time and I was like, sure, you know, it'd be great. We have a real a nice group of kids. They'll welcome these two boys. Um, and so they joined us for the week. And toward the end of the week, I still remember these two kids like approaching me, coming up and saying that they really wanted to talk. And so they came to me, and what they said was, they said, you know what, we've never been baptized. And so they asked me to be the one to do the honors, right? And I was like, you know, at camp that week, and this is the thing, you know, what they actually, they articulated this for high school boys, this is amazing. They actually had said something to the effect of, you know, like Jesus had really gotten a hold of their hearts. They were convinced that the next step of faith for them was, was to be baptized. So I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So I went to the Forest Home staff, I'm like, you know, do you guys have a problem um, if we do this, and they said, no, this is wonderful, like, what better thing could happen, you know, at a summer camp than two boys wanting to be baptized, and I was like, am I going to get in trouble for this? The Presbyterian <laughs> Church going to, like, crack down on me? I don't know. Um, and so they sent some staff members uh, with me. Like, our whole youth group came, and we all went down to the lake, and we joined in witnessing, like, the, one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of to this day, this important step of faith for these two these two boys, right? They shared their story. Uh, they affirmed their desire for baptism, and into the lake we went. Um, it was really this incredible experience. I mean, like a lot of tears of joy were shed um, by more than a few of us. As the, you know, you, we talk about, we use this language: the Holy Spirit taking up residence in their hearts on that day, the day that they die to self, that they become alive to Christ, and so. At the end of this incredible week, after this incredible experience, you know, I just said, hey, make sure you tell your pastor, make sure you tell your friends, your church community, uh, what happened, because this is is a really big deal. You need to share this with other people. We part ways 20 years later, never heard from him again. This is the first, probably, I mean, I've thought about him periodically, but I really thought about these two kids when I read the text. And so the lectionary readings for today, they focus a little bit on, on baptism. Um, And so we're going to take a look at a story from kind of the earliest church planting movement of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. And so we remember that after Jesus' death and resurrection, he commissions his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so Paul, he's already gone out. He's already been sent from his home church in Antioch to plant new churches all over the region with the purpose of making disciples, of baptizing, and of teaching. So take a listen to what we're going to look at today. This is from Acts 19, 1-7. It fits with the other gospel reading that we read from Mark, uh, which is John the Baptist. And here we're going to see something that's a, a little bit different. We're going to see the kind of movement of John's baptism to what we're talking about in the New Testament, you know, baptism in the name of Jesus, a Christian baptism as we probably know it. So take a listen. While Apollos was in Corinth, can you hit that for me, K. Rich? While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland regions and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? 
They replied, no, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues and prophesied all together. There were about 12 of them. The word of the Lord. And so Paul is, at this time, he's probably on his third missionary journey. And we're just going to, by the way, we're going to have to ignore the lights do what they want. Um, There's nothing we can do about it right now. So just, they'll be going on and off. Now a lesson on the Holy Spirit. This is good, right? So we'll just just chalk this one up to some, there's some other things going on here that we have no control over. Um, Paul has been sent out from his home church in Antioch. He's going out to start churches in uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Athens. Some of these churches, like the one in Athens, are really small and struggling churches at this time. There are other ones, like the one in Philippi, that's thriving and encouraging to the apostle. Here he arrives in Ephesus, um, where the church is pretty much so new that it doesn't even appear on the radar. Like, it's just a brand new, fledgling, not even the, maybe not even a church there yet. And so we know that at the beginning of the text, Apollos, this guy who was a pretty good orator, a pretty good teacher, supposedly, um, he had been there when Paul arrives, he takes off and goes to Corinth, and Paul uh, is there, and he arrives kind of on the scene. And so the thing we need to know about Ephesus is just, just a couple interesting things. It's this commercial trade center. It was a regional capital under Caesar Augustus. It's the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, somewhere between two and 400,000 people. This is my favorite part. It had an amphitheater that seated 25,000 people, right? That's like 4,000 seats bigger than Staples Center. This is 2,000 years ago. Um, like, just think about that for a second. Um, and it's also the home of the Temple of Artemis, which was at the time one of the seven known wonders of the world. So it's a pretty, pretty cool place. And so Paul goes to this city because that's where the people were that God placed on his heart. This is, this, we, have to just, we just keep this thing in mind. Why does he go there? Because God puts these people in his heart. These people that don't know who Jesus even is. And so he knows that there's literally, there's hundreds of thousands of people there that need to hear the good news. And so he's faithful. He goes when sent. He shows up in Ephesus to make disciples, to start new churches, to uh, where these new disciples can, can be nurtured and grow. And, that, and that's what he's doing there. And so he arrives, he encounters these about 12 disciples, it says. You know, like, did he meet him in the synagogue? It doesn't say. Maybe these 12 were gathering together somewhere else. But this is, this is absolutely my favorite part of the scripture. It's funny, I think, that he opens up a conversation with people that he's never even met. Just think about this, right? He doesn't know who these guys, he doesn't know who these guys are. And he meets them, and it's like, so, you know, Dan, did you, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And can you imagine, like, just, just think about that. That's this conversation starter, right? Um, I'm like, that's like a showstopper, not a conversation starter. Um, this is really, really bold approach, you know? It's like, what do you think would happen if you approached a total stranger on the street with that question? You know, you don't even know who they are. So tell me, if you received the Holy Spirit, right? So what I thought was, this is the way my mind works, I'm like, dumbfounded was the word that came to my mind, and so when I looked up the word dumbfounded, <laughs> this is the guy that is the first image in Google Images that comes up. It's like, 
Can you imagine being this poor guy? Hopefully this was intentional. <laughs> and like, he, they did this on purpose, but if not, sorry to that guy, whoever he is. Um, and I'm like, this is perfect. Like, this is the look you're going to get if you go out onto the street and you ask somebody that question. Um, sorry. <laughs> I, I think it's funny. Um, and so, you know, if, if you want to try this, if somebody actually tries this this week, if, if anyone is brave enough to walk up to somebody on the street um, and ask that question. So tell me if you receive the Holy Spirit. You'll get five minutes next Sunday of my preaching time um, to share that experience with the congregation. It would totally be worth it. So that's the challenge for the week. Maybe we'll have another challenge in here somewhere, but we'll see. Um, all right. So these disciples, they probably did look at him like this, honestly. Like you have to think, they, they had no idea what, what Paul was talking about, right? They must have been standing there scratching their heads because the scripture said they... Have, they have like this inadequate understanding of baptism. If you, if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, I can promise you your understanding of baptism is, is inadequate. Okay? So they really they have no idea what he's talking about. They even say they never even heard of the Holy Spirit before. And so Paul asks a follow-up question. He says, well, then into what were you baptized? Now we're getting somewhere. They, they, they would understand that question. This is a question they, they get it. right? Uh, they would have understood it because Paul is assuming that they're disciples of someone and so as disciples of someone, they've probably been baptized, and here Paul is right. And so here's what he's getting at. What he really wants to know when he's asking this question is he's really trying to get at, like, whose, whose disciples are you? You know, he wants to know, who are you following? And by their answer, Paul figures out, he learns that these guys are their disciples of John, probably baptized by John in the Jordan River like, like Jesus was. And so these disciples of John, they clearly don't have much of an understanding of Christian, even basic Christian doctrine. And the most likely reason for that is because they probably aren't Christians. They probably aren't Christians. They may not have known much of anything at all about Jesus at this point. And so I think Luke, who writes this story down for us, of kind of the gospel moving, it making its way to Ephesus, it seems like he's trying to tell us that uh, these guys are most likely devout Jews. They're disciples of John the Baptist. But the key here is this. They were John's disciples who had literally missed the point. Okay? Literally missed the point. Now, we have to remember what our message from Advent, and we read the Mark text earlier, that John's entire message, he had one job, his entire ministry was to point people to the one who was coming, who he said was far greater than him. John was taking... And he was pointing his own disciples, and he was pointing them to Jesus. John, by his own admission, would say, we want, I want you to switch from Team John to Team Jesus. This is what he's trying to get people to do. These guys literally had missed the point. They were ready to receive Jesus, but it appears that they're still waiting for him. They're waiting for him to arrive. They don't know he's already come. The Messiah, at this point, the Messiah, the Savior, he's already been born. He's already ministered. He's already died, he's already risen, he's already ascended. Um, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has already come. And in these guys waiting, they just missed Jesus. And so that's what Paul's job is doing. He's finding these people that missed Jesus, and he's telling them about him. And so he tells them about Jesus, the one that John was pointing people to, and they say they come to believe, just like the two boys at Forest Home the next step in their journey of faith is baptism. And so I heard this great story, this baptism story in rural Georgia. This is sad. This is a true story. Um, and it's just purely for fun, I admit it. 
Nobody's going to forget this story when I tell it, I promise you. So the deacons, they, the pulpit, this is a classic. They have to move the pulpit uh, because the baptismal tank is underneath the floorboards. All right? So they have to move the pulpit. They get everything ready. They take the floorboards up. And it turns out there's a husband and a wife. They've come to faith. They've both placed their trust in Jesus. They want to be baptized. So what they did, like you've probably seen these before, they hang sheets up as like a changing room. So you get into like a robe uh, for your baptism and then your clothes are in there. And the husband gets baptized and he comes out and he's waiting and changing back into his Sunday best uh, in the changing room. And the reports are that when she was baptized, that what I read was she was a little on the heavy side, uh, maybe on the heavier side of heavy. And she hit the last wooden step and the step cracked and it buckled and it broke and it snapped under her weight, sending her flying headfirst into the baptismal tank, right? And so when she's flailing around for something to grab onto, she grabs onto the sheet on the changing (laughs) room, takes a face plant, pulling the sheet in with her, exposing literally her naked husband, (laughs) standing there in front of the whole congregation. Um, But my favorite part of the story is this guy was thinking fast. He just dove right into the baptismal tank in order to cover up. And it's like, I just, I couldn't help but think, like, you know, how do you recover from that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, did the pastor just move on and baptize her anyway? I don't, did they postpone it? Um, did they just, like, shut it down and send everybody home? That's probably what I would do. Um, all right, we're done here. Um, but what this did is, I'm just kidding around, this is fun, but what it did was it made me think about my own baptism. And it's interesting, I had to get a passport last week, and so I was digging around in all these files that I haven't seen in a long time, and I was looking for my birth certificate. And the thing, I couldn't find my birth certificate, by the way, uh, but what I did find was my, my certificate of baptism. And, you know, I don't know, just coincidence, I mean, I haven't seen my certificate of baptism in, I don't know, ever? I'm trying to remember if I've ever even really looked at it before. Um, and there it was, and I pulled it out, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm talking about baptism. It made me go back and think. I remember my baptism really, really well. I wasn't baptized as an infant. I was baptized as, I guess I was in ninth grade, uh, entering into high school. I remember uh, Pastor Royal B. Garen, who baptized me. Um, A guy that was like my junior high uh, leader when I was a kid. A guy that I have great, you know, really great memories of. And interesting, I wish Rick was here today, but after I was baptized, Rick's mom was an elder. She was the elder who sat down with me in the courtyard. I remember the church courtyard asking me questions about my faith, asking me if I had questions about the church, how she could be helpful and trying to nurture like a young Christian in their walk of faith, right? And then it's so fascinating that when Rick was baptized a few years after me, my mom was the elder that met with him. It's just totally weird stuff like that, you know? See? Oh, now the lights are going to start. But it made me remember that public decision to welcome Jesus into my life, right? Um, And hopefully what I'm hoping is that we, how many of you remember your baptism? For those that have been baptized, anybody remember it? Some were infants and probably don't remember much of it. Uh, But for those of us who were baptized uh, as adults or kids, Uh, Maybe we remember that, which is good. So I started thinking about some of this kind of stuff, right? And the scripture highlights some continuity and some differences between John and Jesus. And I think this is important to understand. The John's ministry anticipated the coming of Jesus. And so his baptism was one of repentance and 
preparation to receive Christ, to be ready for him when he came. But in baptism done in Jesus' name, what we're highlighting is one major difference, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which accompanies water baptism. And so what we saw in this story was Paul lays hands on these confessing believers. They receive the Spirit. They speak in tongues and prophesy. And now charismatic Christians love this text. This is like one of their absolute favorites. And like some intellectual Presbyterian types are like, oh my gosh, what do we do with this? Um, So it's interesting that it highlights and sparks like all this division within the church passages like this. Like should we baptize infants or adults? Should we sprinkle or immerse? Does like the amount of water matter? What about baptisms done by someone without the right credentials? Does God recognize those baptisms? Like these are questions. People ask these kind of questions all the time. Um, do Christians have to speak in tongues? People ask these kind of questions, and it's this is to me it's crazy. But I do understand it because people actually have a come to like points of anxiety about their own baptism. And so we have even churches that will call people's baptism into question or will want to rebaptize someone if they want to become members. But here's the thing. We look at this and we're like, Paul doesn't deal with any of the concerns that some Christians raise today. This, this, it wasn't about form. This is really important. It's not about the form of baptism that's important. It's not about saying the words in the right order, even saying the right words necessarily. It seems that the key element is one thing. It's God's presence in the lives of those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. This is, this is what he's saying. And so the question is not how were you baptized or who baptized you uh, or were you like sprinkled or were you dunked or drowned, <laughs> nearly drowned. I mean, I, he, this is not, these aren't the questions that he's dealing with. He's asking one question. He wants to know one central thing. Have you received the Holy Spirit? This is what he says. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you welcomed Jesus into your life? Have you experienced God or been in any way transformed by God? Because when we invite Jesus into our lives, what the Bible talks about, it promises that the Spirit will give us gifts for uh, really to be used in, you know, the language we used in the one song was advancing the kingdom or extending or offering the kingdom. Um, These disciples at this point were given the gift of prophecy in tongues. And there's a huge variety of gifts. If we look around, we all have a different set of these gifts. And so even the Apostle Paul, for those that have anxiety about this, the Apostle Paul didn't speak in tongues at his conversion. Go read the the text. So it looks like this is just like descriptive of what happened here. It's not prescriptive of what happens every time a person is baptized. We're all given different and a unique set of gifts. And so we talk about, you know, rebaptism. Well, the reason that these guys were rebaptized was because they didn't know anything about Jesus until that day. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. They said it. And so once we've confessed that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, once we've been baptized, we should sleep well at night knowing that we belong to God, that we're God's and that God won't let us go. And so when I look at this and like in the heart of Paul, in the heart of this story seems to be one really pretty simple thing. Do you know Jesus personally? Do you know that Jesus is God with us? Has Jesus grabbed a hold of your heart? Has he changed your life? And have we welcomed Jesus into our life? I love this. He says, have you received? Like, think about what does it mean when we, how do you receive a guest in your home? 
This is where my mind was going. How do we receive a guest? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? We, we welcome Jesus into our lives. And so Paul had this heart for people who don't know anything about Jesus, people who have missed him. He had a heart for church planting to help disciple people into not just believers, but followers of Jesus. And so this is why it's important to keep some perspective. And so it made me think about this church. We started this church not for ourselves, but for those that are not yet here. I've said this before, and it couldn't, this couldn't be more important. Like our, the team of people that started this church, we actually planned it designed it not for ourselves. This couldn't be more important. This was an outward-facing group of people. They were designing this church for people that are not even here. I think that's important. I think it's something that makes us really unique and distinctive. You know, and this is the reason that we started, to connect to those who are looking those who are waiting for Jesus, but those who have missed him somehow. It's why we speak of this church as outward-facing, a church that turns from gathering well in worship like this to scattering better into our community. And so when I thought about the kind of practical things about this, we should be looking for, we should be praying for God to open up our eyes to people around us who may be looking for Jesus, but they haven't found him yet. My hunch is that these people are around us all the time, every day. And maybe the gift of the Spirit that we need is a little bit of boldness to overcome our own fears, the boldness and the courage to be willing to share this good news of Jesus with those who need to hear about him the most. And so if the Spirit gives us that kind of courage and we respond with Jesus's, you know, to Jesus' commission to go when sent, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the good news moving outward from uh, into our community from here. We're going to see people inviting Jesus into their heart. We're going to see the Holy Spirit move in and take up residence. We're going to see people come to know and to be transformed by Christ. And what is what could possibly be more beautiful than a transformed life? A life transformed by Jesus has got to be the most beautiful thing in the world, and this is the crazy part, like we are invited to participate in this beautiful act of making disciples. Baptism is just the launching point, it's just the beginning of the journey, not the end. And so we know that the Holy Spirit wants to do a work of transformation in us, in which baptism is just the very beginning of that work. It made me think about those two boys that I baptized somewhere around 20-some years ago that I have no clue what they're doing. Uh, I had no clue what I was doing, to be real honest, at that point. But even clueless, I was willing. And a willing disciple of Jesus can even have a tremendous impact on the world. This week, I, had to, I thought about these kids all the time. I wonder what they're doing, uh, where they are, if they're still living their life. For Jesus, my prayer is that God still has a hold of their heart. That the Spirit, I, you know, I really do trust this, that the Spirit has been at work in their lives over these past 20 years, renovating their hearts, gifting them to make a change and a difference for the kingdom of God in the world. And so my curiosity kind of led me to finish today with kind of a question. 
Who do you know that may be looking for Jesus but hasn't found him yet? Does someone come to mind? Because if someone does, don't miss the opportunity to reach out to that person. They may look at you funny, like that guy with the glasses. But God willing, they may come to faith. They may desire to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And what could possibly be more beautiful than that? And so think about this over lunch. Reflect on your own baptism if you remember it. Talk or share it with someone else, what you remember about it. And then maybe consider a thought like this, if I have it up here. Consider this thought. One transformed life leads to the transformed lives of others. When I look at this passage, this is what it shows me. One transformed life, the life of the Apostle Paul. He's willing to go when he's sent, and he goes. One transformed life, just in this one story, we're talking about one transformed life transforming the lives of it around 12 other people. Those 12 people, their lives will never be the same. 